Man, what an incredible day so far. We are teaching through the book of Romans. And so if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to chapter nine. We're gonna finish out chapter nine this week, get into chapter 10, because we're just taking several weeks uh, to preach through chapters nine, 10, and 11. So those are gonna be coming up over the next several weeks. And I know we got break coming up in, in our locations. And so if you're traveling, make sure that you watch with us, staying connected with us, read through these chapters, because a lot of good stuff coming up over the next several weeks. And speaking of good stuff coming up over the next several weeks, we have our WOCO event coming up in three weeks. And so ladies, yeah, we can, uh, we can clap for that. It's, it's one of the greatest things that we do as a church, a gathering literally together over a thousand women uh, to come together, to hear, to have community uh, from preaching, good preaching and the word of God. And so that's coming up in three weeks, uh, which is crazy to think about. It's already here. It's the first weekend in October. So if you don't have a ticket yet or you're listening or watching online, make sure you get a ticket because they will sell out quickly. And so make sure you get one, an incredible event this year. And I'm looking forward to it, uh, not only because of just just how it blesses my life, but how it blesses my wife and then how it blesses so much in our church. And so guys, if you haven't told your wives to go yet, tell them that you will watch the kids and just FYI, it's not babysitting when it's your own kids. All right. It's called parenting. And so be a great application of the parenting series we did a few weeks ago. So if you haven't gotten your ticket, make sure you get that. All right. So Romans chapter nine, we're going to finish out uh, chapter nine today. We're going to get into chapter 10 and we're going to start in verse 25 and then we're going to go to verse four of chapter 10. And just in case you haven't been here over the last several weeks, what Paul has been building out in chapter nine is what about Israel? What about those people that God promised in the Old Testament because of everything that is true of Romans chapter one through eight that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short. What about those people that God promised all these things to in the Old Testament? Well, Paul's going to unpack what they mean. And this is why it's so important for us to gather together, to hear the preaching of God's word, because if not, the Bible can be very confusing. And I want to say that from the outset. And again, these chapters can be confusing because uh, we're talking about some pretty deep things. And so when we read the Bible, we need to understand that what was told in the Old Testament is revealed in the New and so a lot of times we can kind of separate those two. And, and, and one of my big pet peeves with people are like, I love the God of the New Testament. Well, it's the same God of the Old Testament, all right? Uh, and, and, but there's just kind of this ignorance sometimes when we talk about it because we just don't understand it. And, and that can be genuine. Listen, I'm 41, still ignorant, all right? Uh, but the whole point of preaching the word of God and hearing it preached, and, and really the whole point of why we're just preaching through this book is to help us understand rightly who God is and what he's doing and how he has worked to save us. And so that's what we talked through the last several weeks. Last week, specifically, we talked about the justice and mercy of God. That God owes nobody mercy. He owes everybody justice. And so he is right in judging some, and he is right in giving mercy to some, and that is up to the Lord. And so now we're kind of looking at that as to, okay, if that's God's choice, what about our human responsibility? Because the Bible talks about both of those. And Paul is going to continue in that same thought process as we start in verse 25. So let's read it, and then we'll explain it. Paul says, as indeed, he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. Verse 26, and in the very place where it is said to them, you are not my people, there will be called sons of the living God. Verse 27, and Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, through the number of the sons of Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sands of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. 
And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. And so Paul, in talking about here the justice of God, that God is rightly judging his people all over the earth, he has mercy on some, and he has the right to have mercy on some, and he's showing us how in the Old Testament, God said, this is what's going to happen. And so he's talked about the patriarchs, he's talked about Isaac, he's talked about Jacob, he talked about the Exodus, we looked at that last week, now he's talking about the prophets. And so he's kind of giving an entire Old Testament overview from beginning to end to say, listen, this was always God's plan, because here's what the Bible has said was going to happen. And he's reinforcing the fact, which is what I've been reinforcing over the last several weeks, that just because you're a part of a certain family, just because you are ethnically a part of a certain race, does not guarantee that you're a part of the family of God. Now, obviously, these verses apply specifically to Israel, to the Jewish people. And so Paul's saying, listen, not, though Israel had a lot of sons, you know, we always sing the song, Father Abraham had many sons, and I am one of them, and so are you, right? Even though he had many sons, not all of them are saved, only a remnant. And that word there, remnant, is where we get our word remain or remaining. And so there's this group within the group that's going to be saved because not everybody who is a physical descendant of Israel is actually of the nation or of the, 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 the family of God, if you will. And this is going to be so important again. And I'll point this out when we get to chapter 11 in a few weeks, when he says in this way, all Israel be saved. He's not saying that everybody from a certain race or a certain ethnic group will be saved because the requirement is not we're a part of a certain flesh or a part of a certain family, but of faith. That's the requirement. Now, the reason why this is so important, because you may be thinking, Pastor, you have a, neck, uh, a knack of answering questions that nobody's asking. And that's a lot of times what people think about preachers. Like, hey, nobody asking those questions. Why are you answering? What, what about Israel? What about all that? Why are you talking about all that? Well, like I said, one, it's in the Bible. But two, here's why it's so important. Because we can apply this same principle to us today. Because now we're talking about the church because the people of God expanded beyond Israel, beyond the Jews to the Gentiles, as Paul has said. And we could say it like this. Not everybody that's a part of the church is really a part of the church. Not everybody that attends, not everybody knows Jesus. Augustine, the great theologian, distinguished it like this. He says, there is the visible church and the invisible church. The visible church and the invisible church. Now, the visible church is what we can see right now. People here attending right now, a part of our church, attend our church, have joined our church, serve in our church. That's the visible church. But what Paul's saying here is not everybody that's a part of the visible church is a part of the invisible church. What's the invisible church? The invisible church is the people of God. The people of God all over the world who have a relationship with Jesus, who know Jesus, who are saved. And here's what we need to understand. Being a part of the visible church does not guarantee that I'm a part of the invisible church. And, and you may think, okay, you just thoroughly confused me. What are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. You don't have to come to church to be saved. You don't have to attend. You don't have to tithe. You don't have to do all those things to be saved. And people are like, I've been saying that for years. I ain't got to go to church. 
But, but don't get it backwards. Don't, don't believe what the Bible's not saying because the invisible church is a part of the visible church. You can't take it too far. People are like, I don't have to go to church to, to be a Christian. That's true. There is no requirement to be saved. You gotta go to church. But it doesn't mean you're not a part of the church. It's like saying, well, I'm married. Well, well who are you married to? Well, I mean, I just live with somebody. Well, if there's not a, there's not a, has there been a wedding, a thing signed? Well, no, I'm married though. Well, but it's impossible for me to say I'm married if I'm not in a relationship, like committed and this signed up, signed, sealed, delivered. You know what I'm saying? And, and this is where we think today, we're like, oh, I didn't realize that that's what it meant to be married. Yeah, that's what it means. And, and this is how people think about church a lot of times. Well, I'm just a part of the church, but, but I don't, I'm not part of a local church. So, so here's what I'm saying. To be a part of the big C church, you are part of the local church because the big C church is made up of the local church. However, Everybody that's a part of the local church isn't a part of the invisible big C church. Why? Because Jesus said it like this. Not everybody who calls me Lord, Lord will be saved. So this is why this doctrine is so important because there are people just like Jewish people who grew up hearing everything about God, hearing everything about what God was going to do, and they are not a part and so it's very possible that we today, a part of the visible church, think that that's what makes me saved. No, no, no. Just because I'm a part of the visible doesn't mean I'm a part of the invisible. Now, if I'm part of the invisible, I'm part of the visible. But what he's saying here is the requirement for salvation is not, I do all these things. The requirement is faith. And that's where he goes next. Look at the next few verses. Verse 30, what shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Verse 32, why? Because, here's the whole point, because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. Let me read that part again. They did not pursue it as if, though it was by faith, but as if it were based on what? Works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. Now he's gonna quote another Old Testament passage, verse 33. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So here's Paul's argument. You have the nation of Israel who grew up literally as a nation hearing all these things. And, and this is where you need to understand. People say, well, being a part of the church doesn't mean that I'm a Christian. Then why do I need to part of, be a part of a church? Well, Paul asked the same question early in Romans. He said, if being Jewish doesn't make you saved, then what's the point of being Jewish? Is there any benefit? He says, much in every way. Because they have the oracles of God. And so they had all of this stuff. They had the prophecies. They had the word of God. They had seen God do great things in their life. And yet so many of them didn't believe. Why? Because they thought that their righteousness was based upon what they did. They thought that they could earn their way in. And this is why this is so important for us today. I can't tell you how many people 
today, if, they were to, if you were to ask them, hey, are you going to get into heaven? Or, or why should you get into heaven? Their answer will be something like what Jesus said people are going to say to him when he said, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we prophesy? Didn't we attend church? Didn't we do all this stuff? And what does Jesus say back to them? Depart from me, I never knew you. And the difference being this, those who know Jesus and those who think that they can earn their way in both do the same things. This is where this can be confusing and why I'm gonna spend some time on this. Those who think they can earn their way in, they go to church, they tithe, they serve, they're a part of a group. I mean, they're doing all kinds of good things. And those who have trusted Jesus, they go to church, they tithe, they do all these kind of things. And so when you look on the surface and you think, man, wait, hold on a second. They're both doing the same things and yet one is in and one is not. Why is that? Because one thought that by doing those things, they would get in. And the other thought, I got in and I'm doing these things out of gratitude for the fact that he got me in. That's the difference. Let me give you a quote by one of my most favorite. He wasn't really a theologian. He was a philosopher, but he helped me out so much and just an unbelievable guy. And I would recommend anything that he's written. A guy named Dallas Willard. He died not too long ago. And I've said this quote over the years several times, but I always want to come back to this. This is what he says. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. This is so huge. Grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. See, there's some misconceptions when we talk about grace. People say, like, well, if we're saved by grace, then it doesn't matter what I do. Oh, it matters greatly what you do. Why? Because the Bible says. And, and Paul, who wrote this book in another occasion, said, I am what I am by the grace of God. He says, but I worked harder than anybody else, yet it wasn't me. It was grace in me. So was it Paul or was it grace? Yes, and apparently grace doesn't mean I'm gonna just sit back and sin however I want and ask God to save me. But grace is saying, no, it doesn't just save me from my sin, it's the power of God to now actually obey. And so when we're talking about grace, here's what we need to understand. Grace doesn't mean I don't go to church. It doesn't mean I don't tithe. It doesn't mean I don't serve. It doesn't mean I don't obey the commands of God. What it means now is I'm not trying to earn anything by doing those things. That's the difference. And this is why the Jewish people still to this day stumble over Jesus. One, because God said they would, because in order to trust Jesus, here's what you got to understand. In order to trust Jesus, you have to come to the end of yourself. You have to completely admit that you are morally bankrupted. Like there is nothing good in you. And this is why religious people today, again, Jewish and Gentile, think that they deserve something. There's this attitude, and here's the biggest test. And for those of you that would, would say you trust Jesus, here's the biggest test. When things don't go your way, when, when things actually get worse because you followed God, are you upset about that? 
Now it's again, this is church. It's okay to be honest. I get upset about that times at times. There have been times in my life where I'm like, God, I've been serving you for 20 years. I've been pastoring, I've been preaching, I've been loving people, and this is what happens. And very quickly, by the grace of God, he reminds me, Joker, how do you think you've been serving me 20 years? Did you forget that I didn't save you based upon anything that you did? And that everything that you're doing now, you're not paying me back, you're doing it by my power. So even the good works that you've done over the last 20 years has been because of me. And this is where, again, we wrestle so much in following God because there are commandments of God. And when we obey God, we expect God to bless us. And sometimes, yes, that happens. I'm not afraid of God blessing me. However, I can't think that somehow my obedience earned me the right to be blessed. You see the difference? This is where we wrestle because people are like, God, I followed you and I got cancer. I followed you and my spouse left me. I followed you and I lost my job. Listen, sometimes following God will lead to the direct result of financial hardships. This is why I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. Does God want to bless me? Yes. Does that include finances? Yes. But is that it? No. Because sometimes in order to prosper me internally, he has to take away things externally. And again, it's when those, you start letting those bad things happen to quote unquote good people and we get all up in arms. So this is why I don't like the, the question, why do bad things happen to good people? They don't. The, the better question is, why in the world would a good thing ever happen to a bad person? Because again, coming off of the heels of last week's message, God owes none of us anything other than justice. And the reason why Israel still stumbles over Jesus is because they think God chose them because they were so righteous. They were so awesome. And this is where they forgot that the entire Old Testament is based upon the prophecies that you see in Hosea when God says, I made those who were not my people, my people. Israel forgot that applied to them. Because how in the world did Israel come on the scene? You want to know how Israel came on the scene? Genesis chapter 12, which Genesis chapter 12 comes right after Genesis chapter 11. Sometime I'll preach through that because in Genesis chapter 11, you got the Tower of Babel. Then God gives all the nations over to their own devices. And then from them, he picks one to make a new nation called Abram. And Abram was a 75-year-old moon worshiper. He didn't choose Abram because Abram was awesome. He chose him because he wasn't. And then from him, he made a nation. And then from that nation, they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And then God freed them. And then after that nation, or after that nation was freed, God gave them the law. So let me ask you the question, which came first, salvation or the law? Salvation. So when people read the Old Testament today, they're thinking, how in the world am I saved? It's not because you obeyed the law. Neither was Israel. Israel wasn't saved because they obeyed the law, because they didn't. They didn't even have it. He saved them because God said, I'm going to make those people who are not my people, my people. That's always been God's plan. Then the problem became is Israel got into the promised land and were like, hey, we're better than everybody else. 
I don't know if y'all know this, but God likes us more than you. That's the summary of the entire Old Testament. For real. And God's like, you think I chose y'all? Because you were, you were something? No, I chose you because you were nothing. And why did I choose you? Because you were nothing. Because I didn't want you to think that you had anything in you and you were something. Let me, let me break this down on a very practical level. Sin is the very thing that separates us from God. It's because of sin that Jesus had to die. But here's the crazy thing about the gospel. My admission of sin is the very thing that draws me to him. And this is where Christians start to think wrongly the more they walk with God that it was their righteousness that actually drew them. That God saved them because they were so good. No, he can only save sinners. But see, those who grow up in church, those who grow up in righteousness and kind of grow up in religious homes have the hardest time believing that they actually need saving. Like I get the, I mean, we always go to the, like the crack addicts. Why do we always think that? Like I'll never forget when I moved here almost 10 years ago and I was talking to our staff and they had pigeonholed a lost person to be somebody who liked rock, rock and roll music and rode Harleys. Like that is how they demographically profile. That's a lost person. Now, can somebody be lost and, and like rock music and ride a Harley? Yeah. But can somebody be saved and like rock music and drive a Harley? Yeah. What I had to help our church understand is, listen, you may have a guy who grew up in church who loves his wife and it's a doctor and very successful, but he is lost. Lost people don't look a certain way. Lost people have a certain attitude because they know they're lost. And, and this is, and I've been following Christ now. I had my birthday this last week. Thank you for all the birthday wishes. For those of you who didn't, there's some other great churches here in town. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I've been following Jesus since I was 13. That was a joke, by the way. And, and there are some things in my life that when I trusted Christ, there's some, there's some things in my life that when I trusted Christ, God just took them. Like there was desires and things that I wrestled with. He just took. And, and that was great because he saved me. And I was like, yes, I'm so glad. But see if this resonates with you but I've been following him for 20 something years and there's some things in my life that I still struggle with. And it's not because I haven't asked God to take them. There have been so many times with, again, this is why I joke, like I'm 41 and I thought 40 year olds were way more mature than this. There's some, I mean, I'm 41 and I still laugh at jokes that I laughed at when I was 12. And there's some things in my life that I, I got to be honest with you. When I looked forward at 13, uh, I thought, man, when I'm following Christ for 20 years, when I'm following Christ for, for 30 years, I'm going to be so holy. And you know what I feel like now at 41? I feel less holy than I've ever felt. Can I be real honest with you? I'm going to be. You don't have to answer it, but. I have probably felt over the last two years the most unspiritual. 
and dare I say, unsaved. Because I look at certain things in my life and I'm like, a saved person doesn't act like this. A saved person doesn't think this. What's wrong with me? And then I read verses like 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation given to him, that he was given a thorn. No, we don't know what the thorn is. I tend to think it was, it was a mindset or a stronghold in his life. Some people think it was a physical ailment. I don't think that's what it was because he has no problem describing those in other places. I, I think it was something that was just tormenting him. I think it was a Romans 7 kind of thing. And he says, I begged God to take it away. I begged God to take it away. But then he says, to keep me from becoming conceited. I was given this. So then Paul says, I'm weak. And God says, great, that's the point. Because my grace is made perfect in your weakness. I take great comfort of the fact that sometimes God allows things to remain in my life to keep me from becoming an arrogant jerk. And so there are so many times in my life well, I gotta be honest with you. If I didn't still wrestle with sin, I would come up here and preach to y'all like I was awesome. And, and there would be this air, and people think that about me sometimes. But I want you to understand something. Just ask my wife, I'm not awesome. <laughs> there have been so many times that I have gotten up here to preach and I'm like, God, I don't even know if I'm saved. And yet you want me to say this? And that's when God's like, that's exactly why I want you to say it. Because you're under no illusion, son, that it's only by grace that you're saying it. This is why, now listen to me, people who have been walking with Jesus for decades, if they grow in conceitedness, if they grow in arrogance, they don't understand grace. If you are Christian and arrogant, you may not be Christian. It's that big of a deal. You want to know why I know that's that big of a deal? Because Jesus himself said, God said, I oppose the proud, but I give what? Grace to the humble. My friends, I want you to understand something. I only stand here today in front of you teaching this word by grace. I wrestle and struggle with sin just like you do. And there have been so many times in my life where I'm like, God, take this away. And he's like, if I did, you would be an arrogant jerk. So I'm not. But I'm going to give you grace to withstand it. I'm going to give you grace to resist it. And this is what we need to understand. And this is what Jews and religious people today don't understand. They think, we can think, we earn this. Look at the next, look at back in chapter 10 now. Chapter 10, verse one and two. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear witness, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. See, look at Paul's attitude towards the religious. This is what's crazy. You can spot a religious person when they have 
a conceited arrogance towards other religious people. When they can point out, if you're an expert in pointing out others' flaws, you may not know Jesus. How's that for a sermon? Like if every time you get together, you're talking about how everybody else failed and somehow inside of you, you wouldn't say this, but what you're thinking is, you know what their problem is? They're just not good like me. I've gotten to the point, I gotta be honest with you, when I'm in a conversation with somebody talking about somebody else, it nauseates me because all I wanna talk about is how bad I am. And in order for me to talk about how bad somebody else is, I have to assume that I'm good. But that's not Paul's attitude. Paul's heart breaks for them. He says, man, I'm heartbroken over all these religious people who think that God's gonna let them in because they did all this good stuff. And he's like, man, they keep tripping over Jesus. Why? Because they had zeal. It's just not according to knowledge. Now, this is so important because we live in a culture today that tells us, you know, it doesn't really matter what, you're, what you believe as long as you're sincere. As long as you're sincere. Here's the problem. You can be sincerely wrong. Man, I can't tell you how many times in pastoral care situations, and please hear my heart, I'm not talking bad about people. This isn't coming from arrogance. This is coming from brokenness. I can't tell you how many times in pastoral care situations we talk with people and we say, here's what the word of God says. And they say, I just don't really think that's what it says. I don't think God would say that to me. I don't think God would say that. Okay, well, tell me where he said it. Well, I can't tell you that. I just don't think he would. Okay. You just made up your own God. And if you just made up your own God and you think that you can just go with what you feel, then you're in danger of hell. And this is where people are like, huh? I'll just do it and then ask for forgiveness. Mm. It's like what the great theologian Al Pacino said once. <laughs> it may not have been him. It may have been a comedian named Emo Phillips. But he said, you know, I asked God for a bike, but I know it doesn't work that way. So then I stole one and asked for forgiveness. <laughs> but I got a bike. You know how many people are presuming on God like that? I, I know he says don't do this. but I feel like I can do it and he's just gonna forgive me. Man, you are presuming on the grace of God in a way that the Bible says you don't know Jesus. Now, I'm not saying you don't know Jesus. You might be a part of the invisible church and just none of us are like, whoa, I didn't know that. But here's what I'm saying to you. Please, for a second, don't ever Think that you're just sincere and not build your life on this book. My friends, listen, I made a commitment long. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine this week. We're talking, I grieved in my heart over a pastor friend that just was not, I mean, like just walked away from God, like in a way that just culture says this is okay. 
And he's like, I've never been closer to Jesus. Actually, you've never been further. Because if you do what Jesus expressly forbids, how can you say you're close to him? And I, I was telling my pastor friend, I said, listen, I made a commitment a long time ago. I will never compromise what's in here. It's written and it's written for a purpose. And I firmly believe the strength of the church is not based upon how good the preaching is. The strength of the church is how good the preacher is telling you about the word. And you may love that and you may not like that, but I just want you to understand something. If it's in here, I'm going to say it because I believe it. (laughs) Please don't take this arrogantly, but it doesn't really matter how we feel about it. See, see, Paul says it's not based on knowledge. And, And people say, well, I just feel this. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying Christianity is not an emotive faith. We'll get into this when we get into chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, where he says, believe in your heart. Yes, the Bible says out of, out of your heart comes faith, but the Bible never says it's based on just heart without your mind. Never. So, so there are people that are sincere, that are zealous, that are making up new faiths, but it's not according to knowledge. It's not according to what is written. And here's verse three and four. Why? For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. Key point. Seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Here's what Paul's saying. If we think that righteousness, and and, and righteousness simply is this, being right with God. If we think that we can establish it ourselves, then we don't understand grace. And this is why we stumble. And and grace is offensive. But here's what's crazy. You wanna know who grace is the most offensive to? It's not to the bad people. Grace when, when you tell people who didn't grow up in church, when you tell people who don't know anything about Jesus that Jesus did everything that saved them, they're like, for real? You mean I, I don't have to do anything? I don't have to bring anything? No. You're like the guy that Jesus said who came up to the altar and said, have mercy on me, a sinner. He went away justified. But the righteous one said, thank God I am not like him. I do this and I do this and I do this and I do this. And Jesus said he went away unjustified. Grace is the most offensive to those of us who think we can earn it and establish it ourselves. And I wrestle with this, man, I do. Because when I trusted Christ, I wanted to be a missionary to a foreign country, either a Spanish-speaking country or Africa. That's what I was doing, man, I was going. And when I was in college, I had signed up to be a summer missionary. And then God shut that door and made me go on staff at a Southern Baptist church. Now I went, I got saved in a Southern Baptist church. It was my people. And I thought, Lord, I don't want to go there. Stiff neck religious people who have a bunch of rules. When I went on staff, 
It's not this way today, praise God. But when I went in sta on staff in the student center, it was welcome and then like a list of 12 rules. And, and then, <laughs> y'all that laugh, you may not find this funny. Then God sent me to the South. I'm like, I don't wanna go to the South. There are churches everywhere, God. Why in the world do you wanna send me to the South? I wanted to be a missionary to people who need Jesus. He's like, that's why I'm sending you to the South. Because <laughs> there's a bunch of folk in the South that grew up knowing God and they don't know me. They think doing this and doing this and doing this is gonna get them saved and they're sick. So you're still a missionary, but I'm sending you to a religious place, not an irreligious one, because they need the gospel too. And so when we came, we built the church on this statement, love Jesus, grow people. Why? Because if you don't love Jesus, you're not in. I don't care what church you grew up in. I don't care what verses you can cite. If you get to the end, trust me, and when you meet God, I, I'm just basing this based upon how the Bible describes people that encountered God. They weren't excited, they were afraid. And this is what rocked me, I gotta be honest with you, over the last two weeks, as I was studying this, I started picturing what it would be like when I stood before God. I started imagining it. And then I got scared. And I thought, man, he knows every thought. He knows everything I've ever done. And when I meet a holy God who can obliterate me like this, what am I gonna say? I got so scared. I've never felt more unsaved than I have in the last two weeks. And then I came to this place and I was listening to R.C. Sproul, who's one of my favorite theologians who's gone to be with Jesus. And he said he felt this way at times. I'm like, man, if R.C. felt this way, whew. When I meet God, I only got one thing to say. Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. See, church will make you arrogant. But sin makes you humble. And so, yes, we follow the commands of God, but not, not because we deserve it, but because Christ earned it. That's what he means when he says Christ is the end of the law for righteousness sake, for everyone who believes. Man, it's either Jesus or nothing. And it's the hardest for church folk to understand that. When you stand before God, it's not what you did. It's what he did. And so if you're here today, man, and, and if you feel like me, where you're like, oh my gosh, man, I know me. 
Like I for real know my sin. And, and frankly, I'm, I'm straight up scared. Then you're in the best possible place you could ever be. Because now you're ready for grace. And the good news is, God delights to give it to you. And when he gives it to you and you receive it by faith, you believe you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us. God, help us to understand what your word is saying. That, that people who grow up being so close to you can be so far from you. Just like the Jewish people who saw you act powerfully but then thought that they could earn favor with you. And God, there's so many people in the church today that think that they're Christians because they're trying to be. This is why if somebody asks us if we're a Christian and we say, I'm trying to be, and we don't understand fully yet because being a Christian has nothing to do with what I'm trying to do and it has everything to do with us accepting what you did. A righteousness that's by faith. We believe that you earned for us. So God, I pray for anybody listening or watching who has not received the grace of God, that they would hear the good news and you would open their eyes to see the truth that there is nobody who is outside the grace of God if they are simply willing to admit and confess that they've got nothing but you. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close. If you've never trusted Christ, the proclamation of the gospel goes out to all. But the key is not you just hearing it, but you believing it and trusting in it and Christ alone. So if you've never trusted Christ and you want to, I'm gonna give you an opportunity right now to confess and believe. And so you can confess, not out loud, but you can pray with me. And it goes like this, say, Father, thank you for loving me, that you sent your son in my place for my sin. I am a sinner. Would you save me? By your grace, have mercy on me in Christ. I'm trusting in Christ alone. Nobody looking around or talking again as we close. If you just prayed that with me, very simply, we just lift your hands so we can see that. Thank you. Thank you. We got men and women gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand, man. Don't be ashamed. It's the greatest day. You received grace and mercy, something you didn't deserve.
But then those of us who, like myself, have been following Jesus for a while, if you would be so honest to admit that you've actually become a more judgmental version of yourself looking down at others because you forgot that you too are a sinner. And you've been less gracious towards others because you forgot that God was gracious to you. Then we have the opportunity as well to be reminded that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So the best thing that you can do today is just be honest. You don't need to get saved again, but you just need to confess again. God, forgive me for being such an arrogant jerk. I, I, I know that I don't ever outgrow my need for your grace. God, help us to be that kind of church that not only preaches the gospel, but believes it. Where we can be gracious with one another because you've been gracious with us. It doesn't mean that we don't point out where someone is operating outside of your word, but it means we do it with not a judgmental heart. We do it with a grieving heart like Paul did, where we plead with people not to step outside of your word. And we warn them, but we do it like a parent does a kid, not arrogantly. God, help us all to be reminded that you saved us by grace and you grow us by grace and we never outgrow our need for grace. Even the good things we do now are powered by grace. Amazing grace. Thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.